Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zanashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Howdy, hey, howdy. Good to see you all again. <laughs> you just, you just, you, you, what happened to greetings, greetings? I don't know. I look, forward, look forward to my greetings, greetings, my greeting. I, I heard that there was somebody that was, you know, um, I made somebody sad by calling them a cretin, so. I, You're uh, kidding. Not entirely. <laughs> <laughs> Was was somebody uh, really a Cretan and they were ashamed to be called out for it? I don't know. Yeah, but they just felt they felt it was inappropriate. And I thought, well, you know, there's a lot of good people out there in our audience. They're not all Cretans. You know, don't want to imply that. Not all. I mean, it's you know, it's maybe a fifty-fifty, eighty-twenty. I don't know. Uh, Was the Cretan in question? Was it our good friend John Blickman? No, it wasn't. Uh, he, oh, he's quite wow. he's quite used to being called worse. So that was <laughs> right. And on this show, and the, <laughs> the amazing thing is, he's uh, been called worse on this show, which he sponsors. And he actually pays for, so you don't have to. Uh, so you might want to take a moment of your time, check out uh, BlickmanEngineering.com, or when you're down at your favorite homebrew shop ask them about blickman gear if they've got any for sale there uh the anvil products that's also a line that uh that uh, comes from the genius of uh uh, john blickman uh also you know it's all quality stuff including they do uh pro level brewing equipment now so uh, turnkey pro systems yeah brings the same genius that he did to uh homebrewing to the professional level so check them out blickmanengineering.com send uh john a, a nice email telling him uh even though he's a cretin uh you still love him for paying for the show so uh feedback at blickmanengineering.com all right today we have my dear friend uh, uh dr chris white on the uh, on the show uh from white labs which if you brew any beer i'm sure you you, you heard about uh, chris white is the founder and spiritual leader of white labs uh, which is the foremost supplier of yeast for craft brewers and home brewers worldwide hey chris how you doing good hello thank you <laughs> excellent Great to have you here. on the show oh, it's a lot of fun to be on the show i appreciate it uh for the invitation and look forward to some fun and information very yeah. good. Yeah, you know, we were we were actually got together and uh, started talking, and I just think, you know, we start talking about yeast related stuff. But I'm thinking, you know, the gems of information that are coming from this man, we ought to get capture that on a show, so exactly, that, uh, so our our listeners can enjoy it as well. Um, so my first question for you, Chris, is uh, you recently budded yourself. Uh, your, your beautiful daughter, River, 
And uh, does that make you feel more in tune with yeast now that you have budded or with people? Which, which do you, which do you uh, identify, identify more with humans? Um, well, she's not a clone, so maybe I don't feel as close to bud up to yeast, but I do did really appreciate the biology of what was going on. There yes. you go. The, yes. The ancient biology of the whole process and the baby. And uh, it's, a, it's just incredible. <laughs> and does Jamie have a bud scar from, from, from budding? <laughs> kind of, yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> Forever. <laughs> See? And that's, that's how it works. You know, even, even humans get a little bud scar from uh, uh, mm-hmm. budding, a, budding a new human. Yeah. Uh, well, and congratulations. Yes. Thanks, guys. It's, uh, it's about three months now, so it's been awesome. To uh, us, cool. it makes you seem more human, I think. <laughs> I think. I'm not sure. I'm okay. part of the club now, huh? Yes. yes. Part of the sleep-deprived. <laughs> Uh, all right. A few odd questions. I was just knocking out some questions, things that people a lot of times ask me and different questions that I usually ask you. And we usually talked about, for example, uh, what white labs yeast has won the most awards in brewing competitions? Well, that's an interesting question. And thinking about what you said, we, people might not realize that, or uh, that when we get together and hang out, we still talk yeast. You know, when we wrote right. the book, it was fun. <laughs> and we're still doing it 10 years later. <laughs> and, well, we, we, we want to write the second book, too. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and I would say it's our California LEDs, WP001, first strain on, on the White Labs menu in 1995, and the only one for about three years. And it's still our top seller. It's an awesome strain. And um, then when the when IPAs really started to become popular, it was people realized it was a great strain for IPAs. And it's just kept kept getting more popular and more popular. I mean, we got a big menu of eighty core strains plus the now plus the vault strains, all the specialty strains under the vault uh, label. Um, but California Ale yeast still continues to win the most medals and uh, be used in the most beers. Now, right, because it's used in a lot of beers. I mean, a, a huge amount of beer is brewed with that yeast strain. Now, but is there like another yeast strain out there that people are maybe not so aware of, not using in such volume, but every time somebody, you know, brews something with it, it's, it's so great that it can't help but be an award winner. That's what people want to know. They want the secret. They want the secret sauce. There's a few probably, and uh, I wouldn't just say one. And we uh, we really like WLP008, our East Coast Ale Yeast. It was also one of those early strains, but no mm-hmm. one ever wanted to buy it on the commercial scale. Homebrewers would, but because it was too cloudy, mm-hmm. it wouldn't, wouldn't flocculate, right? But mm-hmm. now, all of a sudden, it's real popular because um, hazy beers are popular, and this is a strain that you don't have to do anything with to make a hazy beer. It's cloudy. So it's, it's uh, real easy to use. Uh, and it, uh, it, it, it has a stable haze uh, and a delicious beer. Uh, and a lot of people, when they think hazy, they want to use our London Fog yeast and, and, mm-hmm. and the Burlington yeast. But our brewer at White Labs Brewing Company just wants to use 008 every time. 
Right, because it's a nice steady fermenter. It's reliable, uh, and it's it's a relatively clean uh, fermenting yeast as well. You know, yeah. uh, ester ester profile wise, it's not as heavy in esters as some of the others. Another one I like. It's it's not people don't think of using the blends a lot, but WOP zero uh, sixty, the American Hell yeast blend. Mm-hmm. It's it's just so it's got a nice comp- uh, complement of of clean yeast strains. It can make a lager like beer real easily. Uh, and it also has some of that zero zero one component that gives the crispness. Um, and you know, I don't think a lot of people go to think of that, that blend right away, but that's, that's one of my favorites. Um, and then, um, Bedford alias is nice, mm-hmm. uh, zero zero six, uh, that's a vault strain. And then Mexican lager piece, WLP 940 is one of my favorite lager strains we have. So what's your most underappreciated yeast, do you think? Which one did you come up with that you thought, oh, this is fantastic. This is really cool. This is, you know, a lot of people are going to see how cool this is and they're going to they're going to enjoy it. And then just like crickets, <laughs> you were like, you know, and, uh, at one of the homebrew cons. uh a, few, a couple of years ago, I, we did a, a little special release of kind of the Frankenstout uh, blend where we make a beer with 96 yeast strains mm-hmm. at White Brewing Company, and we call it Frankenstout. It's a 9.5% beer uh, with all this complexity from the 96 yeast strains. And so we did this little release uh, of, of that blend, and it didn't do anything. And and we did it at that, that, that trade show, and, and I thought – people would be excited about it, but people were kind of like, well, what the heck am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> and so nobody really used it. And um, so I, I thought that was going to be something that would be a hit. It seems um, like there would be a huge amount of work in that too. Yes. Yes. Uh, so we weren't really sure we would keep doing that, you know, anyway, mm-hmm. but uh, it's a lot of work to make that culture when we do the beer. It's a lot mm-hmm. of work to, to do it when we uh, did the special release um, but all the blends are a little bit difficult to time the yeast at the same, you know, day and freshness. Um, right. you know, it's not just about the components, but it's about having them made that day. Right. Um, if you got to make 96 yeasts. <laughs> yeah. Are you yeah. still doing the, the 96 yeast blend? No, no. We did it as a little one-off to see if people right. were interested in it. And it didn't seem to be, people didn't seem to be very interested in it. Um, but there's others that have kind of come in, like the Mexican lager yeast that I mentioned, you know, it, uh, sorry, it, uh, I, it, I put it, you know, released it and then I would take it off and I'd release it and I'd have to put it in vault, but it started gaining a small, uh, fan base mm-hmm. that recognized how awesome that strain was. Uh, and easy to use that strain was, but I think it's the name a little bit. People are like Mexican lager yeast. Uh, you know, we understand the politics and things, but they're like, well, how can that be a great yeast strain? You know, it's not German or whatever, but see, all these strains were once were derived were from once Europe. German. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, people kept telling me to change the name and I like the name. Mm-hmm. So I kept the name. Yeah. <laughs> and well, maybe it sells less because of it. <laughs> when, when you're uh, uh, looking for, uh, a new yeast strain. What what is it that kind of uh, drives uh, your choice of a new yeast strain? How you know where where are you one? Where are you finding these things? 
<laughs> and two, it's not from your 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 COVID beard, your your isolation beard. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where are you finding them? And you know how what what kind of analysis? What's the breakdown of the analysis when you when you find something? You go, well, this might be interesting. You know, and you you captured it off of something or played it off of something. Or somebody's given it to you or. And then, you know, what's the steps that, you know, the general steps that you guys go through in the lab to, to, and the sensory that makes you say, yeah, this is something or this is nothing. Yeah. Collecting new yeast strains is an active part of what we do. We're all beer fans involved, you know, like everybody works at White Labs. I mean, you're not going to like working at White Labs if you're not a beer fan because it's a hard job uh, and it's an important job making these pure yeast cultures. So you know, we've got great people that care about this industry and so, and, and wine and other things. So, you know, we're all constantly collecting and we've got a well-equipped lab, a microbiology lab, an R&D lab, a bacteria lab, uh, a um, uh, analytical testing lab with all the chemistry goes on. So between all those labs, we have a lot of the resources to really work a yeast strain through some, uh, some laboratory work. And it's about a three month process. And uh, it's, it's finding a good, yeast strain is a needle in a haystack. There is so many, uh, I mean, the air is full of yeast and bacteria, but very, very few can make the kind of beer we'd like that's not phenolic, uh, that ferments the maltose. uh, And uh, beer is really unique. And that's why most of the yeast strains we use are quite ancient, but they've gone through different kinds of mutations. And so... um, finding those around brewery areas or from old beers or from old yeast banks. I mean, we still get a lot from yeast banks, but we still have to run it through that three month process. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then do a lot of selection. So what's done normally today in this kind of selection is robotics, but say a pharmaceutical company is looking for a particular yeast or bacteria to do something. Uh, it's screened through uh, high, high throughput screening through robotics. That's something we don't have. <laughs> so we just do the old school manual process of, of colonies after colonies. Mm-hmm. Huh. And do you look for like attenuation or do you look for, uh, you know, other particular characteristics that say like when you when you're say we need we need a new fruitier yeast or we need a new higher attenuating yeast i mean what kind of drives that process uh the first thing is attenuation yes so if somebody was going to do this at home and you collected some yeast in your backyard or or uh area you know and you said is this something good well i i would put it on a petri dish i have certain things i look for in a petri dish i'd look at the microscope but then the very next thing i'd do with it once i felt it was pure and and had uh the correct kind of colony characteristics would be to do uh, an attenuation in um uh 12 degree wort and if i don't get that you know normal 70-ish whatever percent attenuation because a lot of those things will only do 20 30 40 it's just a no-go Uh, it may be something if it's a low attenuator to keep exploring as a mixer kind of thing, and it may be a blend. But if it doesn't attenuate, a it's not going to be good for for brewing as, as by itself, and it's possible that it could be dangerous. Right. So uh, if if it doesn't attenuate at all, you know, don't even try it. Uh, you know, but but if it survives some alcohol and keeps going, mm-hmm. then you're, you're you've probably got something that's non pathogenic. 
And that's why early screening with attenuation is really important, actually, even for safety. Well, I guess I'm a little confused there. If it looks like a yeast under on a Petri dish or under a microscope, then it wouldn't be pathogenic, right? No, there's lots of pathogenic yeast and bacteria. Yeah. Just none that can survive the pH and the alcohol of beer wort. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Interesting. Just like mushrooms, you know, it's like you just bite the wrong one. Same thing with these strains. There's tons that are bad for you. But, um, uh, but the ones we use and in, in the ones that can survive in beer wort are uh, good. Oh, okay. Okay. Interesting. Well, yeah, that's fascinating. Let's, let's do this. Let's take a short break. When we get back, we will have more questions for Dr. Chris White right after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new BrewEasy. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're talking with um, our good friend Chris White from White Labs. Uh, Casey was asking, do you still offer the Franken yeast blend? And we answered that just a moment ago. Unfortunately not. There wasn't enough, enough interests, but see, you know, different day, different time. Maybe there's still, there's still a chance mm-hmm. for the Franken yeast blend. I would, I would brew something here with it. If, if, uh, if you yeah. were to come back with it, I think. I okay. Did something yeah. Special. You know, the microbiology company uh, scientists, you know, my, maybe not the best marketers. So possibly we just uh, put the message out wrong. Right. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of blends, I mean, like your American ale yeast blend, when you decided, created that blend, what characteristics were you interested in blending to create, to create that product? I was trying to get something kind of that would, would make a beer from a sensory perspective of like a, uh, a golden ale, you know, a lager, a Kolsch that would also work in an IPA. Okay. Um, a robust mix that gave, uh, you know, that, that, that kind of blended hybrid kind of character. Okay. So uh, Mayor is asking, why is Kvike not a mainstream yeast? Mm. Mainstream. Um, well, I think there's two things. First of all, they're pretty new. Uh, mm-hmm. They're old. Hybridization events a long time ago uh, to get create these yeasts that can ferment warmer with clean flavors, but still have brewing yeast DNA um, that were 
recently discovered by the rest of the brewing world. And, and the, the Norwegian farmers and folks have been awesome at letting uh, that get spread through yeast companies like ourselves and, and people try them. Um, but if you do a side-by-side with California ale yeast or so, you know, it's California ale yeast still produces the beer, I would expect. The mm-hmm. ester characters, the, the beautiful uh, crispness, and the Kvike strains are a little rougher around the edges, you know, and All that's right. okay. They're a little muted on the esters, which is not really something that you'd select for. But what people really are get excited about is the high temperature fermentation. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a little bit of a devilish thing kind of hanging over it. Like, you want to use me? I'll be fast, <laughs> but I'm not going to give you the flavor that mm-hmm. you used to have. You know, and I saw that not in my lifetime, but it's happened with baking. It's happened with distilling. It's happened with wine, even where they used to use all these interesting yeast strains that it created all these great flavors. And they've mostly gone away from those things. And the, the new, the generation of, of winemakers and bakers and stuff today don't even use that language of flavor so right. much that they used to with yeast or not even know that there's an impact mm-hmm. because they're, it's already been moved on. And, um, and so, but that was all about speed, you know, mm-hmm. baker, baker's yeast used to take three days, um, mm-hmm. but all the great flavors you'd get in the dough, uh, cause it takes time. And now we have, you know, doughs rising in a few hours from more simple strains that have been breeded to do that mm-hmm. and, and flavors just left behind. And I would hate for that to happen to brewers, um, right. just because we were chasing speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I took a distilling class and, you know, uh, when I took distilling class, they were like, yeah, just throw in a brick of yeast, you know, 90, 93 degrees, let it rip. You know, it should be done by the next day and then you can start distilling. It's like, I'm like, well, don't you care? That was their sum total information about, about <laughs> fermentation. I'm just like, uh, you know, how about rehydrating the yeast? And like, oh, no, it's just a waste of time and money. It's like, it's a bucket of warm water in 15 minutes, I, you know. Uh, yeah. And then uh, they were like, no, no, no. And then they're like, well, you know, somebody asked, what if it doesn't, you know, ferment? It's like, throw in another brick of yeast. <laughs> that was their that was their, their solution. I'm just like, you know, and it was some it's an old school dude who's been doing it for yeah. 40 years or whatever. And it's like, I appreciate that you have this knowledge, but. I think, you know, the mindset of a lot of distillers is, well, we'll fix it in the, in the distillation, you know, we'll fix it then we'll fix it then, you know, it's like, well, why not fix it in your fermentation so that what you're distilling is much nicer, has more interesting flavors, your yields more, instead of getting a whole bunch of, you know, acetone, you get, (laughs) you know, a higher quality, you know, product, but, uh, and I think that's happening more and more nowadays with people getting into craft distilling people from craft beer, but I see what you're saying that I keep hearing from people. Well, I can just use Kvikis to uh, make a lager. I don't need, you know, I'm like, uh, no, you need lager yeast. If you want to make a lager, you actually need lager yeast. You can make something lager like, uh, but it's still not lager. It doesn't really taste like a lager. I've never found any, anything even uh the high pressure lager fermentations i didn't think tasted perfectly lager like 
that you really nailed it right there from a sensory perspective. I think that's what happens sometimes. People say, oh, it's just the same. But when you do the sensory, you know, it's not mm -hmm. the same. Mm -hmm. uh, you're missing some key nuances of the logger characteristics. And I think that's the same when we talk about these, these other yeast strains. And it's similar to the discussion of dry yeast and, and liquid yeast, where, you okay. know, if somebody says, oh, it's the same. It's not the same. Uh, and that's not to bash dry yeast. It's it's much less expensive. It's much easier to move around. I might I might make or sell dry yeast someday, but that doesn't uh, mean that liquid yeast, if you do the sensory, is not going to have these. Ex the esters are much higher in liquid yeast. They export right. those esters better to the expected level. Yeah, it's a little harder to use. Um, it's more expensive, but it makes the best beer flavors. Um, I agree, hundred percent. Right. That's what you're trying to achieve. Anyways, why are you doing all this? Even as a homebrew, why are you doing all this? Just go buy some commercial beer. It's much cheaper than brewing your own. I mean, you're right. doing it because you want to make the best beer in the world. That's right. That's right. All right. So you were talking about how there's lots of deadly yeasts out there, which brings me to a question that I'm sure will raise some uh controversy here is you know your thoughts on uh, gmo yeast you know i believe that they're they're generally safe but i haven't used any in any of my beers i you know i guess somebody could theoretically make a yeast that had some sort of uh, pathogenic uh, qualities to it so um and then I bring this up because I just recently found out that a number of local breweries are using GMO yeast. And I thought, you know, for me, I would have to let my customers know, I, you know, not that I would think there was anything wrong with it. I drank some beers with GMO, made with GMO yeast. I don't care. But I know people do care. And so I would never make anything with the GMO yeast without telling people. I think, do you feel the same way, Chris, or, or am I, you know, it just, it just seems a little sketchy not to say something at this point in time. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I get asked that a lot and I don't think we've really talked about it, but I do have some opinions on that. Uh, and it's not about it being dangerous. Right. Cause I don't I would, think it is, but people have that perception. I would say we don't know, right, mm -hmm. long-term, because you can't just say it's not doing something if you understand biochemistry and immunology and, and uh, protein folding, enzyme kinetics. You know, if you, you know, truly recombinant organisms are taking a gene out of, and there's different ways of doing this, of course, now, but taking a gene out of one species or type of organism and putting it into another. The very first GMO pharmaceutical product was uh, Genentech, uh, its creation when they took uh, a gene, the human insulin gene and inserted it in bacteria. Mm. Then they grew up the bacterial culture like we would do in beer or something, but they harvested the insulin that got exported from the cell and that was sold as human insulin. Big advantage in pharmaceuticals for recombinant things. A lot of our medicines now are based on GMO, and I think that's incredibly powerful for the world. Now, you move it to food and beverage, and 
there's a, there's a reason to be a little more cautious because that gene that you put in the other organism, you're not really messing, you know, you, there's great ways now of not messing up the genetics, but that, that protein product from a gene can fold a little differently in the other cell. And when it gets exported, it can get wrapped in things differently, like sugars and stuff. So, and those, the smallest epitopes on a protein spots cause big differences in the human body. It's the whole basis of immunology. It's why we're talking about the COVID vaccine and, and a mutation. Well, maybe now the vaccine won't work against a, a mutation that happens next year. So, so that being said, I'm just saying there's, there's reasons to have some discussion, but you can say, okay, it's generally safe. Um, but um, for the industry to kind of, you know, I always expected what had happened, you know, it probably happened fairly quickly, but I'm, I was a little, a little surprised by the non-transparency mm-hmm. that you're speaking to because beer and brewing has a wholesomeness mm-hmm. of, of kind of what I was talking about earlier with our yeast strains and our, our patients, our communication, our customers really demand that kind of transparency. They want to know where your beer is made. You know, they want to know right. your ingredients and your story. And we put things on the label. We legally don't have to, you know, there's the whole food and beverage industry is pretty weird. Like, you know, a lot of the rules exist just so they don't have to put something on the label. Mm-hmm. Well, craft beer consumers kind of care. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can see this playing out in all the plant-based uh, products now and all the lawsuits going on about somebody saying they don't want to put this on the label. They're just trying to sort of, in a way, deceive, right? Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but that's, a, that's a pretty strong word. But, or maybe just not inform somebody. And I think beer as being wholesome needs craft beer, especially needs to be careful not to upset customers and understand right. where our cut our craft beer customers coming from. So I have no problem with somebody making a GMO beer. We might make GMO yeast at some point, mm-hmm. even though there's no GMO barley or hops right now. And, and, and yeast has been a part of that too. But I would say, if you're going to make a GMO beer, put it on the label, right. tell the customer, right. Right. don't lose this trust we've got. And that, that'd be my biggest message. Uh, and I, I've already been told, well, I don't have to put it on a label. I know that's because there's been all these lawsuits against it <laughs> by the big food and beverage industry. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't put it on there. There's lots of right. things brewers put on their labels that they don't have to. Mm-hmm. But they're trying to communicate to their craft beer customer. Yeah, it's weird. I wonder if uh, there's going to be you know, some sort of eventual split in, in brewers where some are, you know, going like, no, no, no GMO yeasts, you know, used and the others just won't say anything, you know, <laughs> kind of, uh, I don't know. I, I just, I, I got nothing against it. And uh, I find the potential for it pretty amazing, but um, I just can't use it unless I have an easy way of communicating with my customer what's going on mm-hmm. just so that they can make a choice an informed choice. Um, I, you know, and, and what amazes me is my understanding is that there's more people using, um, you know, a, a GMO yeast that doesn't produce as much diacetyl or doesn't produce any diacetyl. It's like, well, I mean, why? I mean, really, <laughs> it seems like something we already know how to, 
how to deal with through regular brewing. I don't have any diacetyl issues. Um, why would why would that be the the focus? What, do you do you run into a lot of breweries that have diacetyl problems? So when I do, they we tell them how to fix it, and uh, right. and then learn how to fix it because the consumer rejects it. And so yeah, there's while the p- possibilities are, are basically limitless of what you could do with uh, recombination, mm-hmm. um, you have to ask: Is it worth it? You know, and that's why the big breweries haven't done it. It would make your yeast more expensive because then mm-hmm. these uh, what you do uh, these things get commercialized would be patented. Um, right. in the okay. bigger scale, you know, and then, it, and then, you know, uh, there'd be licensing agreements, they'd be ex- more expensive for what, you know, for, you know, and so that's where I, I like to see what the imagination of the craft beer industry does, right? That's, that's why we've got all these styles we have. And so maybe some uses could come out that are super unique and would mm-hmm. make that worth it, but mm-hmm. to, to, to do it for attenuation or, diacetyl or hop flavor or something i i just doesn't seem enough yet to make right. it something that would be worth doing i could see doing it as a special you know one-off and something that's cool you know people that want to uh i had a friend who wanted to taste beers that were made with a, uh, a gmo yeast and you know just to say he tasted one <laughs> Yeah, you know, so I guess you know that's a possibility. Uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm just really taken aback by finding that there were some brewers who weren't weren't uh, that were using the yeasts and weren't saying anything to anybody. I'd like a glow in the dark yeast. Yeah, and now see that would be cool. That I could that I could really get behind. Yeah. You know, and especially if when I was peeing, then <laughs> the glow in the dark. <laughs> You know, then, then at night, when you're staggering around the woods, which there's times we've all three of us have done that, and yep, you need yep. to pee, you can see where your pee's going. There you go. Peeing on your yeah, shoes. Yeah, you'd want to drink that particular brewery's beer, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> right now it doesn't have to change color. <laughs> That's right. That was an old joke from yellow to yellow, you know, when it was all Budweiser, <laughs> my old dad joke. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so, so like I said, I've had some, I would, I would drink some. I mean, I, I, I just try to pr- provide some information why caution is okay. Why people aren't crazy to be cautious. Right. Uh, but, but I, I, I have had some and uh, I, I just want to know. I, I, right. and I, right. it, I, I think the whole food industry should label. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of silly yeah. that it keeps getting held up in different courts and different things and propositions get run in states, but then it gets turned down, you know? Right. So, so, I mean, um, just give the consumer some information, let the consumer decide, you know, and, yeah. you know, what, what's the harm? That's why I, I, I hate those, uh, obscure date codes that they put, you know, that don't, you just put the date it was packaged on for God's sakes. Yeah. Simple yeah. as that. You don't have to do anything else. Just give the consumer some information and step away. Uh, Spy Brew is asking, how about a yeast for non-alcoholic beers? Uh, yes. Do you see White Labs in that area in the years to come? Yes, this year. We're already in it. Okay. We have some vault strains uh, for mm-hmm. non-alcoholic uh, beers. And so what we're trying to do is make the vault a little easier to get yeast out of because it's where we created this space for specialty yeast strains. But 
actually getting them produced and getting them distributed is a is a challenge we're still working on uh, and, and get them in homebrew stores easier. Um, but we're making some progress. And uh, so, yes, we have uh, uh, yeast for non-alcoholic beers in the vault now. And how do they work? What, what sort of, uh, you know, uh, attenuation and, uh, you know, fermentation should you expect from those? What kind of, what kind of work do you put them in? Yeah. Well, that's where, you know, in the future or whatever, or, you know, GMO might make sense, but because uh, mm-hmm. right now what you do is you select these yeast strains, like we list the, the species on there that don't ferment maltose. Mm-hmm. Great. Doesn't it's so you get this lock all beer, but they uh they they, they have all the multos, so they're a bit sweet, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, I uh, while we have those strains and, and people are using them, and we're there's there's selling them to breweries, and breweries are making some of their non alcoholic beers that way. I think uh, there's too sweet, for my preference, mm-hmm. even uh, if you hop them a lot, huh? Yeah, I mean, and and non that's why non alcoholic beers uh, for, for history or whatever have mostly been sweet and and uh, even hopped and stuff. And but you know, people like that. Is I think non alcoholic beers have an important place in uh, in our category because people who don't want to drink alcohol, people who are driving, people, uh, lots of good reasons for it: pregnancy, mm-hmm. um, different health conditions. Um, you know, and there's ways to slowly distill off the ethanol. And not damage beer flavor. You know that's that's uh, pretty common in Europe. Would it be possible to engineer a yeast to produce water instead of alcohol? Yeah. Definitely. So you could, eventually you, we could potentially produce a yeast that would ferment the maltose, you know, and produce semesters, but just not produce alcohol as a byproduct. Yeah, for sure, because it's it's almost limitless of the what you could engineer. There's genes out there in the in the life pool uh, that do just about anything. Huh. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be very interesting, yeah. There you go. Tour asks, what do you think about Heineken's H41 yeast? They claim it to be the mother of all lager yeasts, which supposedly makes a very unique beer with a fuller taste, spicy notes, and some fruity hints. Is that the... Ubiana strain? Or, you know, I, I, H41 yeast. That's, uh, I remember okay. seeing John's something. Googling. Yeah, I should have. Uh, seems like something that I should have looked at a little bit more, but. I don't know. I, I, I actually have not heard of it. Of course, I've got my head stuck inside a brewery, uh, which is like sticking your head in a pile of uh, cow manure. Uh, for you know, your ears get filled with all that poo and you don't hear anything and you don't pay right. attention to anything. And you haven't drank in a lot of Heineken recently? I, I have not. I have not. Do they make a special beer with it? Tour? Do they make a, have they made a beer and send a, send a beer out or do they just claim it it's the, the mother of all yeasts? I suppose if you're still um, I believe it is the Ubionis. Um yeah, they they talk about Patagonia. They talk about okay. being the parents of one of uh, Pastorianus. So, okay, yeah, that's why I, I kind of what I remember from the story. Um, so, yeah, so a beer, making a beer with the Pastor uh, the Ubiana strain is uh, is an interesting endeavor. I've, I've had some of the beers 
that have come out of uh, Argentina with the Ubianus, sorry, yeah, with Ubianus and, uh, and you guys might have as well. And, you know, they're, they're okay, but they're phenolic because that's, that's what's so special about brewer's yeast, that phenol negative mutation two different places uh, in the, in the gene pool of brewer's yeast has really uh, made our beers taste awesome and everything would be phenolic otherwise. And so when I taste something that, you know, cause phenol is so dominant, it's like, okay, do you buy us get some phenols? Well, it's hard to get through something else. Yeah. Um, but I haven't had the Heineken H41. Maybe they used a different uh, strain of it, but mm-hmm. um, from well, that description, it's, yeah. They say spicy notes, so often yeah. they mean phenol. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm not a big uh, phenolic guy, you know. I, I, in limited amounts, I can enjoy it. You know, some Belgian ales, I can enjoy it, but not yeah. not to excess. I always like a, a yeast that has, uh, you know, limited uh, phenol uh, expression. Yeah, well, it's, I think it's because we're old home brewers. And as old homebrewers, you know, phenols was a sign you were doing something wrong. Mm. Yeah, true. Right. Especially, you know, huge medicinal character. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all that. Yeah. Um, so uh, going back to uh, yeast, I still owe you uh, uh, a sample of the yeast that we captured here, the, the strain of breath that we captured here that, we can't uh, identify as any of the other Bretts. So we'll have to send it to you and see if uh, it is, in fact, truly unique. And if it is, Happy to, yeah. then we can, we can have a heretic uh, yeast in the, in the White Labs lineup. Is that, is that a possibility? Absolutely. At least, at least in the vault? In the, yeah, in the, you, you, in the most people want to just keep that to themselves, but you'd, you'd allow your, your fans to, to get it? Oh, well, now that you mention that, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I think we we we'd go for it. Uh, I think it'd be be fun, um, especially if it's something unique to hear. Because you know that's one of the things you hear about, uh, you know, yeast being unique to like the Seine Valley for you know lambics or you know other other locations, and uh, you know it gets you thinking. Yeah, every little valley on the planet must be unique. Every, you know, every little you know, area must have its own unique yeast. Is that true? Or, or is it uh, much more, oh, the yeast have eventually blown around the world and everything's the same? No, no, no. When you look at the, especially if you do full genome sequencing uh, of yeast, you can find some very regional differences. And that's what we did with uh, the DNA sequencing paper that we did a few years ago uh, in collaboration with a bunch of people um, and industry and then we did a second one on lager yeast. Uh, so those those papers did have over a hundred strains fully genome sequenced, and other other you know places, universities, things like that have done those studies. And they've like in the wine region of Napa, for example, you find a different microbiology in different vineyards in that same valley that are consistent year after year after year. So those microbes stay in that little valley, creating that special wine because they're circulated by the insects in that little small region in the off season. And uh, they don't seem to go down the road, you know, enough to, to change that uh, the microbiome there. So uh, 
you, it's 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 that that same kind of story will be replicated throughout the valleys of the world uh, and the breweries and things like that. That's why people do find that they get different yeast strains in their brewery, and, and ultimately that's why we have all the different strains we do today. Even though these breweries weren't that far from each other, but they might have started with something similar, and then it get, turns into something different and stays different in their locations. And the different microbes that are around your areas are also different. So your breath likely or i wouldn't say likely it it's it's got to be looked at but it has a potential of being unique mm-hmm. right right and that's what's so cool about uh you know spontaneous ferments and things like that there's and you know you imagine if uh if we did that all over the world and plated everything out i mean imagine the uh the amazing amount of yeast that we'd have to sort through to try and find something decent it's kind of kind of interesting that you know the the history of brewing is a big part of that was just getting us you know great unique yeast that you know these brewers yeasts um well, makes me think i should swab some flowers that i've seen bees brushing up against you know if they're hadn't thought about the insect vector but uh right I, yeah i have a lot of yeast hanging around well, and actually what happens inside the insects is hybridization. So that's where oh. a lot of uh, people think now and some good evidence for uh, that. Where's the hybridization happening in the nature? It's happening inside the bees and other oh, insects really? that are carrying huh. these things around. Uh, I, w- I wondered about that. I mean, the whole, the whole Pastoranus, Eubionis question, you know, how did this unique hybridization happen from Patagonia to Europe. And I guess one question is, you know, is Eubionis that unique to Patagonia or if we found it all worldwide now? And then how does hybridization occur? You know, does it occur spontaneous in a spontaneously in a vat in the brewery? Or I had thought about the insect vector at all. So if it happens inside bees, then that certainly makes a strong case for it to be happening and a brewery's batch becoming inoculated, you know, being open to the air kind of thing with a, with a hybrid hybridized yeast. Right. And then some kind of selection event has to, has to kind of yeah. make it go somewhere. Uh, so, you know, it's been found in large amounts in Tibet as well. And so there's a lot of people who think that's a more likely, um, Silk dirty the yeast thing. took exactly exactly okay. and uh, much older but you know people in in argentina haven't given up <laughs> trying to move it's from argentina um you know because there's a timeline that can make sense with the discovery of the new world by europe and uh the transport back and forth of materials and all in wooden ships and uh lots of microbes and organisms uh transferred uh continents uh okay. so it's possible either way that this eubianus uh, got to southern Germany and was hanging out in some wood and some uh, brewing caves. Uh, there's some open fermenting lager beer there with some yeast that probably took a long time to ferment, uh, Saccharomyces mm-hmm. civese. I'd imagine the brewer came back one day and this beer, one beer was done and the rest weren't. And they said, what the heck? Tasted it. It was good. And said, I'm going to reuse that yeast. And, yeah. you know, there was a hybridization that happened nearby because and then it was selected for in that beer, and then it was reused and shared over the next 50 years, 100 years. And then that's the only yeast they used. And then it would continue to mutate in other areas, Northern Europe, 
uh, Southern, and uh, and we've got kind of a variety of strains we have now. Well, that's fascinating. Yeah, it makes you wonder too if mead wasn't a, a possible vector as well. Um, you know, bringing mm. some honey back from the New World, uh, you know, and that using that honey in a brew or sure. exposure to the bee to the of that honey to the hives and yeah, I guess speculation. Anyway, but that that's that is fascinating. Is is making hybrids in the lab fairly easy now? Could could you no. start breeding your own? And that's why people like we haven't been able to replicate lager yeast in the lab, right? That oh. hybridization. Uh even even knowing Ebionis now. So it's really hard. And that's why people were going like, well, how is this happening in nature? And so the insect uh, theory and, and evidence so far is, is really uh, kind of giving some relief to a lot of scientists going like, oh, okay, here's something that makes sense uh, in how this happens in nature, because how can we, why can't we replicate that in the lab? Well, we know biological systems are extremely complex with yeah. different pHs and, and pressures, all sorts of things going on and components in, close proximity. So the hybridizations are difficult to do. Um, but my belief, even before we did those papers or other things that most of the yeast out there are hybrids. I mean, we knew lager yeast was, we didn't know about Ubionis more recently, but Belgian strains of course are hybrids, right? Uh, that was my thinking and the, and the uh, different strains. And it turns out from our couple of papers on, on the tr- uh, family tree of yeast and, and then the more, more focus on the lager yeast. Yeah. They're, there's, they're all hybrids. Of okay. one way or the other so mm-hmm. lots of hybrids um and sometimes just mutations you know not everything's hybrid i'm being a little dramatic there but there's lots okay. i'll tell you where you can find lots of uh white labs yeasts check out our good friends at uh, brew chatter brewchatter.com they're up in uh near reno and sparks there and they've got a wide selection of all the white labs yeast and uh I'm sure even if you wanted to order something special, they'd help you out with that. They're really sweet guys, really nice, know a lot about brewing, have a clean quality shop. So check them out, brewchatter.com. Nice folks, uh, Josh and RJ, check them out. Uh, Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll have more questions for Dr. Chris White right after this. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're talking with uh, Chris White from uh, White Labs, dear friend of both uh, John and myself, and he's so kindly agreed to spend an hour out of his extremely busy day talking with us about uh, yeast. He's always... Uh, Always a fascinating uh, guest. Uh, Keith was asking, can you comment on your research experience of lager yeast temperature pitches? Pitching warmer until fermentation is visible and then dropping the temp versus pitching at or below fermentation temp and allow it to naturally rise to fermentation temp. Well, the, the easy part of that answer is they both work, right? Uh, and so you, if you want to start with ale kind of pitching rates, um, uh, which uh, you then you started ale like temperatures 68 and when you remember when you add the yeast they're not making these flavor compounds yet 
So that's why you have a little window until, you know, you start making, they start consuming the sugars, they start making ethanol, they make fusel alcohols, they start making esters. So we kind of say in that 12 hour window, um, you basically, when fermentation starts, if it starts in four hours, it's not, you know, that, that's your window. You're, you're just saying that when you see, when you see active signs of fermentation, you can start lowering it because now the yeast are generating heat. They're not really going to be as affected by this temperature change. But that's very different than just say adding the yeast to 68 and going, oh, I better drop it. Well, you're just going to rest the yeast cells at that point. You got to get the metabolism going. And then taste the beer. If you think it tastes just like the lager you like because you didn't make a lot of uh, these components first, then that's a great way to go and an awesome way to start a lager. If you feel that, you know, it's a little too less lager-like than I want, then pitch at a lager pitching rate. Uh, you just have to have a lot of yeast. And a lot of people throw out, oh, just use twice as much. No, it's not just twice as much. It depends on the gravity and everything. But, uh, uh, you know, you need a lot more yeast. Because it depends on your ale rate if twice enough, twice as much is right, right? You might be at a very low ale rate. So twice, enough, twice as much is not going to be there. And that's why I say you can't just use a general term like that. We're building a new calculator um, for our website that, that has a lot to do with gravity and temperature happen next year there's so many there's so many little parameters that you know people want generalizations as to what works what doesn't and you can give generalizations well this will work that'll work and then they're like well how do i make the best beer possible it's like well okay that's a whole different question or you know how you know what 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 does you know this factor you know uh, you know and a lot of it for me is you got to brew a beer multiple times and you've got to try little adjustments and, you know, see which gives you the best result. You know, that's, yeah. that's the only way to really know because there's so many complexities. Yeah. Over experience over time allows you to, uh, you know, guess at certain, you know, ways that things will work. But even then, you know, uh, you know, we'll brew beers, and, uh, you know, right out of the bat, yeah, it's a nice beer, but I'm always like, ah, I want to tweak a little bit on this, a little bit on that. We're constantly doing that. Um, we're checking on uh, Whirlpool hops earlier today, um, you know, whether we could eliminate or substitute or, you know, in, in a beer and what, you know, in, we, I did a blind triangle test just before the show. And man, it was so close. I actually picked the wrong beer in the triangle test. So I could not tell mm. uh, the difference between the three and um, making that change will save us $35,000 a year. Damn. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'm keen on this one. I couldn't tell the difference. So somebody doesn't have to get fired today. You just save 35,000, right? And a slowing economy. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. No. Nice job. But what you did was so important there. And I just hope everybody heard that you experimented and you did a, a the blind sensory. So like in terms of this question, Hey, which one should I do pitch this way or pitch this way? I want you to do both. I mm-hmm. want you to determine, you know, what you think uh, into blind tasting of both, not just take an advice one way or the, the other, because you may never go down the other road and it was a right. good road to go down. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. 
do you have any other news about White Labs? What's been happening at White Labs? You guys seem like you're always growing, changing, any new uh, super, super secret uh, strains coming out? Or should we be preparing our, our, our Christmas shopping list for something new from White Labs? I, I, I feel we've, uh, we've got a lot coming. We got a lot coming because one of the things COVID was it was bad in lots of ways, you know. Uh, some jobs, some revenue, all this stuff. But you know, you just you make it. Uh, my staff has been awesome, and um, but we have sort of not had the distraction of growth, capacity growth increases, uh, trade shows, all that kind of stuff. So we've just kind of hunkered down. In Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting, I'm around in these cre- uh, these um, kind of tech teams. I have a whole program for it now. Of, of, it's been a long journey to try to get to innovation besides just an owner of some project versus a team. Uh, so anyway, I've got all these teams going, and I go to most of them through these Zoom meetings. And we've been able to use just through brain power, like put a lot of the things that we wanted to do um, from some things like new website. Okay, great. Well, there'll be a new website, but also improvements to vault, uh, new yeast strains. Uh, we did some new provide strains too during this time release. We have other new strains coming in. Uh, updates to pure pit, some great updates and uh, that's going to make our homebrew package uh, a lot you know, easier to use. And, and, and uh, so much has gone into that to the yeast quality itself, trying to make it better, make it better, make it better. Um, uh, and, and I'm excited. Um, we, we've got a lot coming. We, um, you know, we have, we've had our, our, the tap room in San Diego has been closed. So we didn't just sit there with it closed. We worked on, uh, okay, what can we do to make this better? Put a new draft system in and outdoor seating. And, you know, so, uh, when we reopen, uh, it's going to be a better experience. Uh, so we're just trying to use this time to make everything better in our company and, and roll into an awesome 21. Very cool. Yeah. You know, and I think, uh, you know, obviously there's, there's ways to improve a company, but I, I think from the, uh, the user perspective, from the customer perspective, a lot of times people don't realize that there are improvements that can be made in, in yeast and, uh, you know, it's subtle things and it's, you know, uh, you know, better packaging, you know, actually, <laughs> You know, and, you know, healthier yeast and, you know, there's just so many things involved that, you know, I, I think sometimes we all look at yeast as a commodity at this point. You know, it's like, oh, no, well, you know, the yeast is just, it's, it's a package and here it comes and, you know, just chuck it in um, when there's a lot to it and a lot of complexity that makes, uh, you know, makes one yeast better than another. So it's, it's, it's really heartening to, to hear all the work that you guys are putting in. Yes, it, it's true. I think a lot of people would think yeast is yeast, you know, but there's so many ways to make yeast. And we're always trying to build a better cell, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a more stable cell, a better cell wall, better physiology, uh, longer shelf life that comes out of that. And uh, so we, we have a super long process, a 21-day process from lab to clearing QC, and starting with those petri dishes and freezes before that, so it it's uh, and we and that's we've been doing that since day one. 
uh, even though we've changed lots of things around the company because it gives you a yeast cell that does have this great physiology. And now we're trying to say, okay, um, but we built the capacity. So, you know, our commercial customers are still getting yeast usually in a day or two, um, but it could be longer for certain things they want. But we're, we're using that same process. We're building on that process during this last year to say then, okay, how can we get the, uh, the, the home brewer, the commercial brewer, more yeast, right? That's people want more cells. Okay. We'll get you more cells of this really healthy yeast. Fantastic. Here, I think, uh, you know, like I said, it's heartening to hear that the, you know, the leader in high quality yeast for home brewers and craft brewers is, you know, he just keep, keeps working on making it better and better and better. That's, that's, that's right. Uh, that's continuous improvement. Yeah. Quality is. Yeah. Well, and, uh, maybe someday, John, you and I will put some, some improvement into this show. We will. We will yeah. That's an idea. Continuous improvement. I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, but what you can do to help us out is uh, check out our fine sponsors. Check out uh, Blickman Engineering, BlickmanEngineering.com. Check out uh, the fine folks at Brute Chatter. Uh, check out uh, White Labs. Uh, they got a lot of information. You mentioned updating the website. There's a ton oh, yeah. of great information on the website, new information. If you haven't been to the White Labs website recently check it out there's a lot more uh goodies there for you and a lot more information on how to brew thank you very much chris for spending the the day with us and uh we really appreciate it i'm sure i'll see you uh next time you're in town yeah yeah yes uh, it was great guys thanks i enjoyed it uh even though we're not in the same room this virtual is working and i think uh it was a lot of fun anyway it is seeing you seeing your faces yeah good to see you chris Take care. Thanks, Thanks, brother.